1: Make some noise yeah.
0: How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to get a load of this. I'll be talking with a New York schoolboy legend and college basketball pioneer. Plus, how do we fix the National Corrupt Athletic Association, better known to many of you as the NCAA? And speaking of fixing, what about Odell Beckham Jr.? What the hell did the Giants do with him? All right, well, again, welcome to my inaugural podcast of Get a Load of This. Many of you know me, yours truly, Russ Salzberg, as a guy who's made his bones in this city doing sports for the past 30 years, both the Channel 9 and Channel 5, and, you know, spent some seven years over on uh, WFAN doing a morning show there with... uh, It was the sweater and the schmoozer. But now I'm here and I'm really pumped up about doing this because it's not just going to be about sports. It's going to be about whatever. That's what get a load of this is because we're going to be talking about get a load of this. Maybe it's going to be politics. Maybe it's going to be sports. Maybe it's going to be music. Maybe it's going to be whatever. Whatever is coming up, whatever is popping up. That's what we're going to talk about. I I want this get a load of this podcast to have a real New York, Brooklyn, if you will, flavor. Because even though I was born in the Bronx, I'm a Brooklyn guy. And I don't think that's a secret to anybody who's watched or listened to me. And uh, I like talking to the people. I I like relating to the people. I'm going to want to hear your feedback on Facebook and Twitter and wherever because... uh, I'm excited about this. It's about talking stuff, not just talking sports, but of course, the big sports story going on right now uh, in this country is, if you will, I mean, there's many of them, but uh, March Madness is taking over. Everybody is into March Madness and everybody is into the NCAA and you know, who's going to win the NCAA tournament. But to me, there's so much more than just talking about the NCAA tournament because like I said, it's the National Corrupt Athletic Association. I mean, you want to talk about things that need fixing this place. This corporation needs to be fixed big time. It's crooked. It's a racket. That's what it is, and I'm not just going off on this because I got you know an axe to grind with the NCAA. There's so much stuff that has gone on for too long a time, and and all of a sudden now you know you know somebody's waking up. Oh, we need to pay players, or we need to do this, or there needs to be restrictions. Where the hell has everybody been? Because this crap's been going on since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was Lou Alcindor. As a freshman at UCLA under the legend himself, uh, John Wooden, okay? The Wizard of Westwood. So uh, a lot of things need to be fixed. But before we get into all that fixing, I got to tell you about a guy that you are going to love to listen to. His name is Willie Worsley. Now, some of you might not know who Willie Worsley is, so I'm going to tell you who Willie Worsley is. Willie Worsley was the point guard on the Texas Western team in 1966 that upset the famous Kentucky team coached by the legendary Adolph Rupp. guy by the name of Pat Riley was on that team. He was one, was one of the stars. That's right, the Pat Riley, who is the coach of your New York Knicks and, of course, the Lakers and the Heat, and, you know, he's involved with the Heat. But this point guard, Willie Worsley is a product, he is a product of New York City, a legend. Five foot six, could tomahawk dunk a basketball out of DeWitt Clinton High School. Went down to Texas Western and was one of five black players, five black players to start not only just start, but win an NCAA championship game in 1966. Okay? That's who Willie Worsley is. But the story of Willie Worsley, there's so much more than just winning a basketball game. Willie Worsley is an extremely interesting guy. I'll tell you what. In all my years covering sports and meeting people, You ever run into people and you say to yourself, you know what, when you're talking to them, you might say to yourself, this person is better than me. Just flat out better than me. He or she is a cut above. Well, you know what? Willie is one of those people. I've met three people, and I mean this in all sincerity, three people since being in the business, I've had the opportunity to, to interview and meet a great many people. Whether But whether I've interviewed them or just met them, I, I've had the, this wonderful opportunity. Three of those people are Wellington Mara, the late great patriarch of the Giants, because he was just a very special individual. Another one was Arthur Ashe, the great Arthur Ashe Of course, the tennis world, but he was so much more than that. Just when you talk to those guys, you know what? Just their heart and their souls and and their goodness just flowed out. That's two. And the third one for me personally, and I'm not saying it because I'm going to be introducing him in a few seconds, is Willie Worsley. He is just one of those very, very, very special people. Just an extraordinary man in every shape of the word. But really, he, he's just, when you hear the story, you know, I, I don't want to go into too much of it before he's on with me because he is just an extraordinary individual. You're talking about a guy who did not start playing basketball till he was 13 years old. Single mom, living in the Bronx. W- couldn't get on the playground because he was five foot six. For crying out loud, I'm five foot six. I can't, I can't dunk a basketball in my best day. I couldn't dunk a basketball if I was jumping off a trampoline and on a ladder. There must be something different in the chicken soup his mama made for him and what my mama made for me. But Willie Worsley didn't start playing basketball until he was 13 years old. He goes to DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx. He ends up playing in a high school championship game, a high school championship game in Madison Square Garden against Boys High. He ends up being the MVP. He plays before 20,000 people. And from there, he goes to um, Texas Western. And if you will, the rest is history. So with that, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you and I'm gonna say it: the one and only Willie Worsley, because he is a very special man. Willie, it's Russ Salzberg here. How you doing today, my friend? Hey, Russ, how you doing, man? I'm doing really, really good. And and listen, I can't thank you enough for coming on with me. Uh, listen, because a, most importantly, you're that special kind of person. But b, it's you know, it's NCAA time, and uh, you know who who's bigger. I, I I don't maybe I shouldn't say who's bigger cuz at five foot six you ain't very big. I'll watch the mouth now, watch the mouth. <laughs> but but really Willie, um what you accomplished, listen. First t- first guy, a uh, a member of five black players, the first team to win an NCAA championship game, a mm-hmm. national title, uh, coming out of the Bronx. But I want to go back in well, well, let me start with this. When you were on that roll, you know, going on to beat Kentucky at that time, did you sense, did you guys feel we're on the verge of making history? Well, I don't think we did
2: at all. You know two only history we thought about was history class. Uh, you know, we were kind of cocky, and uh, we lost our last regular season game, and we just had an attitude about us that you know we can do this. You know, so we were a little cocky, be real
0: operative. Well, you know, being cocky is one thing, but did you also sense like like were you just concentrating on winning a basketball game or did you sense the historical value uh that Coach Haskins, you know, was, was about to do? I mean, you you guys were making history, five African American players starting together in an NCAA championship game, it had never been done before. Well, no, I don't think it was, rest because, you know, the coach, he didn't play color. You know,
2: he he played the best player. Uh, he treated us all the same, which was bad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we felt we that we have to go out there and play because we wasn't getting any respect being from the Southwest. And in those days, you know, it was only like 32 teams that got invited us to, to the tournament. So it's
0: really, really important for us to go out and show our work there. When you, you say the 32 teams, uh, only at that time there was 32 teams invited to to the tournament. No, none, listen, it wasn't as big as it is today, but nonetheless, it was very, very big. And, and you're going up. Listen. You're going up against a Kentucky legend team there. You know Pat Mm -hmm. Riley's on a team, Louis Dampier's on a team, Mm -hmm. and you're all of five foot six. You know, how were you able to maintain your confidence being of that stature, going up against these type of players?
2: Well, I think Russ, you hit the nail on the head. I'm from the Bronx, and if you could play in the Bronx, you could play any place. And you got to realize, too, I was very fortunate. In my junior year, I played in the old Madison Square Garden for the city championship. And once you play in the garden, you know, you could play any place. So even though I was small in size, I was big in heart. And I always been the smallest one. So I always say it's not the size of the dog, the size of the fight in the dog that really counts.
0: Well, that's for sure. You have a lot of fight. I also found it interesting that your mom... You know, I, I mentioned earlier that, you you know, your mom, you had, you know, it was just you and your mom at home. Right. And, and your mom couldn't go to Madison Square Garden to see you play in that game because she had to work.
2: Absolutely. My mother never saw me play. She probably played one time in her life, and that was the national championship game on a Monday on TV. That was it, huh? That's the only time she was seeing her baby play basketball.
0: And I, f- correct me if I'm wrong, mom was a little, I don't, th- nah, the, the word's not overprotective, but she was she was worried about you playing amongst the big trees, am I right? Absolutely, you know, she don't want her little baby to get
2: hurt, you know, and, and my mother was so big, you know, she was all four foot eleven, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, she had to find somebody to protect me.
0: Now, now speaking of playing uh, uh, amongst the big trees or with the big trees, you were a high school all-American. Mm-hmm. A, a high school all-American. A couple of guys on that same high school all-American team, al- along with you, was a fellow by the name of Lou Alcinda, who was seven foot two. He was the tallest guy on the team. <laughs> At five foot six, you were the shortest guy on the team. And for those. Young whippersnappers out there who, if for some reason you don't and are not familiar with Lou Alcindor, that was before he became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Correct. Yes. There you go. Also on that team was a guy by the name of Wes Unseld, who not only was an NBA Rookie of the Year, but he was also an MVP of the NBA in the same season. Correct. That's correct. And uh, he, you know, take it even further. He was
2: about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but he was the big 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six kid.
0: Yeah, I, I, if correct me if I'm wrong. If I, One thing I recall about Wes Unseld, I don't think anybody, and, and I'm probably, I mean this, I don't think anybody ever threw the outlet pass like Wes Unseld did. Am I correct? Absolutely. I mean, and being a guard,
2: I would love to play with him. I could lead off get a half court, he'd throw the pass to me, he could cover
0: dribble, shoot a jump shot. That's life right there. Ask Earl about it. <laughs> Earl, as Earl to Pearl. Yes, <laughs> yeah, there you go. His teammate with Baltimore. Um, you, there, there was something like, you know, did, doing my research, there was something like a hundred schools interested in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, like UCLA's, etc. Right. But 75, roughly 75 of them backed out. When they found out you were black, am I correct on that? That's that's correct. You know, was is not a typical uh, black American last name, you know.
2: And uh, and then when they in those days we didn't had all of those the gathers, you know, you see you based on TV and the internet and all that stuff. They just read about me, you know. And uh, when they found out who I was and the color of my skin, they kind to withdraw the office, you know. But that's to be expected, and uh, I'm, I'm okay with that.
0: Well, you know, that that's one of the things that I find remarkable about you, and I remember the first time we ever chatted. Um, there's not an ounce of bitterness in you. Oh, no, no. Uh, no, no, but, but, but hear me out. Uh, you know, listen, you're from the Bronx, I'm from Brooklyn. You're black, but I'm white. You know, we all have gone through things, be it racism, anti-Semitism, but I didn't go through what you went through. How, how did you manage... All through your career, from, from really from the playgrounds to high school to college, to, you know a stint in the pros, and, and to this very day, I don't hear I don't hear a tone in your voice, an ounce of bitterness. Well, that's one of the things my
2: big mother taught me all the time, you know, and the old saying, "Judge the book by its cover." Don't do that. I like to judge person for who they are. You know, I like, I'm a people person. I like to talk to you. I like to, you know, introvert with you, you know, have lunch or something. And then if we get along. I don't care what color you are. You know, we can get along. Now, because you're white, going make you wrong. Because you're black, it's going make you right.
0: Now, so, when you went to, um, it had to be a little bit of a culture shock to you because I know that was the first time you were on an airplane when you're flying down to Texas Western for the very first time. Uh, did you feel, boy? I'm I'm in a strange place. People looking at me kind of funny. I'm 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 outnumbered a little bit here. And, and and you know when you heard the racial slurs, what did you do? Because just by listening to you, one thing you didn't do was go into a shell. No.
2: Uh, well, you have to realize I was born in the south, you know, and and I spent you know at least eight nine years of my life in the south. So unfortunately for me, I was used to the names calling. It wasn't something that I'd never heard before, and uh, I knew that you know, I had to continue to hold my head up high and look forward and, and go strong and be strong and stay strong and, uh, and put my trust in God.
0: Well, obviously, you know something worked for you because as I say, there's not an ounce of bitterness in your voice. and th- th- tell, tell me a little bit about the woman you called Mother Airplane." Because, (laughs) yeah, you see, I've done my homework, brother. Uh, Yeah, yeah, there you go. Mother airplane on your flight, you're this little Willie Worsley going to Texas Western. I mean, you know, from El El Paso, from from the Bronx to El Paso, you could have gone to Siberia for that matter. I mean, that's how far away you're going. Tell everybody about mother airplane sitting next to you on the airplane.
2: Well, you know, it's it's, it's more than... uh been that to it. The okay. first thing is that I've never been on a plane. I don't know anything about checking my leather in. I don't know anything about you know getting in line, put the tickets. I don't know anything at all. This little short lady, and I say short because she was shorter than me. And I'm a, she was like, I don't know if she was Jewish or Italian, whatever it may be, but you know, she walked me through the whole issue. And so we were on the plane, and uh, she had the window seat, and I had the aisle seat. Never been on a plane in my life. So she saying to me, huh? Here's a stick of gum. As you're taking it off, chew the gum because your ear's going to get popped up. <laughs> and then she changed it. She put me near the window seat so I could see the airplane taking off. And, uh, you know, this black young man is holding this white woman's hand. Thank God I didn't break it. Because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was a little bit in trouble. If we was going up in the air, I was squeezing her hand. Right. She walked me through it. She went to El Paso. She was going to help out, so also. And for four years, every Sunday, she would come to campus and get me and my roommate, Willie Cajun, and take her to her house and give her dinner.
0: Is that that I didn't know? Is that right? It, 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 yeah. Now, l- let's go from that. You know, uh, fast forward to something like 50 years or, you know, thereabouts, you, they had a special reunion. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was 50 years cuz I know it was just 2 years ago that 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 they had the 50th anniversary uh, of your big win uh over Kentucky. But they had uh in, in El Paso or at the school, they had a reunion of some sorts and um mother airplane, who had to be an elderly lady at the time, sh- yes. shows well, up
2: for that. Well, you know, she's in a wheelchair. Right. You know, and uh, she must be close to a 90, you know. You don't ask women at their age. And, uh, you know, we had this big old festival thing. And, you know, I guess when her grandson or son rolling in, and we'd watching you know, her go Roll together. And, yeah. of course, you know, we we be sitting in, in the, you know, watching, you know, Glory Roll. I'm sitting next to her, holding her hands again, crying like a little baby. She's crying. We got all these TV cameras in front of us, you know. So that was very emotional for me. And, uh, you know, she will always be my mother. And I'll always love her
0: and have her in my heart until my dying day. Well, and you know what? I'm glad you mentioned it before I did. You know, for those of you who may not be familiar, maybe you're not moviegoers, uh, you know, Glory Road was made, uh, I don't know, was it was about 10 years ago? Whatever it was, mm-hmm. Willie. Uh, 2006. Yeah, okay. Well, Glory Road was made, uh, and it's the story of... Willie and his Texas Western teammates, and it's really with Josh Lucas, and it's an excellent movie. It's done very, very well. Uh, when you sat and watched that movie, and when you saw it for the first time, how did you feel about it? And did you feel uh, it was truthful and portrayed well? <laughs> well, okay,
2: I didn't like it the first time because I I thought they was just more more Willie Worthy in my All American. You know, I thought it was a concentrate more you to give me more of a, you know, of a role. Not be we are, Right. we old kids. Everybody want a little bit more, you know, <laughs> screen time. But after talking to, you know, the producer and director, and they explained to me, and I understood, it was not a basketball movie. It was a movie about the history in the 60s to show people how it was. You know, and, and it, it was good by Walt Disney, so it couldn't be as racist, you know, it couldn't be all the negative stuff involved. I think it was well done, you know, and of course, Jerry Buck had not produce something but the best. Right. And uh, so it was well done. But uh, as I watched it more and learned the meaning of it, which was let people know how it was in the, in the 60s, you know, uh, I think it did one hell of a job.
0: Yeah, no, l- listen, I, I really enjoyed it, and, and I got to tell you, <laughs> I'm I'm old enough, well, I'll say young enough to remember, Willie, I remember watching you and, team, and your teammates win that game. And you know what? When I was watching and my friends were watching it, for us, it wasn't about black guys running up and down the court, you know, making history. For us, it was New York guys. I mean, because it was you, it was Willie Cager. Um, Neville Shatt. Neville Shatt. I mean, y- y- you know, it was New York guys doing it. That was a big <laughs> deal.
2: Yeah, well, you know, homeboys. Homeboys are doing well, you know. you know, and, the, and that's one thing about the homeboys, you know. Speaking about that, you know, you from Brooklyn, you're a homeboy. It's kind of funny that, you know, when you talk to someone that's been around in those kind of climates and you understand each other.
0: Right. You know, and, and the color just get away, you know? You're a person now. You're a homeboy. Yep. Yep. Well, speaking of also being a homeboy, you also played in the famous Rucker Tournament several times. And, oh, yeah. And, and you played. Well, why don't, instead of me, why don't you tell everybody some of the names you played against?
2: Well, you know, uh, some of the names, you know, Connie Hawkins, you know, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> Will Chamberlain, Bill Bradley, Walt Fraser. You know, a lot of that for Earl Monroe, you know, and I was very fortunate to play with
0: one of the better guards in the history of the game, in that playing Archibald. Yes, well, I, I you, okay, again, you, you led me right into it. Nate, tiny Archibald, played 14 years in the NBA, was a, a champion with, with the Celtics. He was your, I mean, he followed you at DeWitt-Clinton and then followed you to Texas Western, and you were his mentor, and he says that to this day. Oh uh, well, he, he been he been too kind to me.
2: <laughs> you know, you're talking about Nate. You know, you know, Tiny was a look. History says it. If not the best point guard in the history of the NBA, definitely the only one that ever led the league in scoring. Innocent. Yep. And he wasn't a big guy. Now, I, and, and the problem had with Tainor. It's in than hell, Detroit. They called him painting. He was six
0: foot one, and I was about five foot one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't cheat yourself. You were five six, but but okay. you know, Willie. Let let me ask you this: what, what, Did it ever at, at five six? And we know you were, you were drafted by the ABA Dallas Chaparells. You ended up playing w- w- with the um, New York Nets for a year. And, and well, why don't you tell everybody what was your salary that season? Oh man, I made a lot of money. Man, I made close to nine thousand dollars. Wow, nine thousand oh, dollars! I was making big bucks. <laughs> nine thousand dollars. Do you ever look back? I, I uh, listen, as I've said several times during our discussion here. There's no bitter bitterness. But did you ever look back and say, you know what? If, if I had six more inches, if if I if I was six foot. I would have had a career for myself, an, uh, uh, an extended career in the NBA. Well, no, because you know why?
2: If I was six foot five, I wouldn't have had to, maybe I wouldn't have had the same fight I had as being five foot six. Right. You know, uh, if I was six foot nine, maybe I wouldn't have the same desire I would know, have or the dedication to the game or the will to be the best that I could be. Right. I think God gave up to me for a reason, and I thank Him for the opportunity. I prove I could play in pro ball. And to me, that was enough.
0: Now, correct me also if I'm wrong. You, um, the the NCAA championship game over Kentucky, that was the first NCAA championship game that you ever watched?
2: Yeah, yeah. I didn't know the first single of the NCAA championship. But you got to realize and in, in, in 60, you know, if you're a freshman, you play in a freshman team. Right. I mean, and all I heard about was NIT, you know, because all of us in El Paso want to go to New-, at New York. Right. You know, to us, NIT is bigger than NCAA. So I'm yeah. going back to New York, and New York Madison Square garden,
0: whatever it's bigger than to be. Yeah, of course. And, you know, people don't, people uh, forget that, you know, CCNY won both of them in the same season the NCAA <laughs> and, and the NIT. You also in high school played against a left handed shooter by the name of Eddie Cranepool. <laughs> Am I correct? <laughs> yeah, uh, and it
2: was in the same league as him, you know, we were in the same Bronx League. Right. With James Monroe High School. You know, he's you know, he was a he's a big chucky kid, about six foot four, kinda of tough left hand, he shoots the ball out of sight. He wasn't the biggest kid, but he could shoot that ball. You know, he, he could shoot that ball and uh you know he, he he uses weight, his will. He didn't use height; he used the wrist.
0: He's a yeah. very smart player. Yeah, well, unfortunately, he's having some kidney problems today. In fact, I believe he's on a list for uh, Eddie is for a, a kidney transplant. Be- before yeah. I get to some of the other subjects, I just want to ask you about Coach uh, Don Haskins. Uh, you know, he pre- t- listen. He told you guys the best way to beat anybody. Is just to go out and to shut people up, is to go out and beat them. But didn't he kind of protect you guys without even letting you know about the hate mail and all the stuff that he was receiving?
2: Yeah. You know, Coach, you know, didn't let us know until, wow, he had to be at least about five years after, you know, we won the champ. after we left El Paso. You know, we came back down, there, I think, maybe for the 25th anniversary. And uh, he kind of broke down and told us, you know, he had. Bags and bags of hate letters, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, our heart, you know, kind of went out to him because he never did that. People said things, people write things, but people don't know things. You know, and this man never came to us that I know of. He never came to me. I could speak to me personally. And "Oh, so, you know, you know, this person said I did this and I did that. All he told me was be the best you can be. And you know, stand
0: for something. If not, you'll fall for anything. Well, uh, you, you certainly stand for a whole lot, Mister Willie Worsley. Um, let, let's fast forward now to where we are today, and mm-hmm. and listen. Um, you've been a high school coach at Spring Valley High School in Spring Valley, New York. Now, I think was this your eighteenth season there? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, you send kids to college. You know, and you, you've no doubt you're hearing what everybody else is hearing. Do you think players should be getting paid today, college oh, players?
2: You know, I have uh, some emotion about that. You know, I've uh, been through that and, you know, and been to college, you know, been under scholarship. You know, it's just very grateful for that. But having issues home, you know, financial issues home, I think there should be some kind of way of they can get some endowment. Uh, not necessarily paid. Let's say, for example, uh, every year, you know, that you complete in college, you know, they put X amount of money into a saving for you. And you know, when you graduate, you can, you can try to that money, you can leave school, you don't have to make clothes or what it may be, and you can start off with a next age. You know, you had to start off by borrowing money to get an apartment, get a car, or get a home. You know, uh, you know, paying, I don't know, because you run into a lot of difficult. You can't pay everybody, you know. You got all these different sports in college, right? You know, you know, and then why should one team get paid, other team don't get paid. Well, but I think if you put the money into saving for them, and the money getting interest at the same time, you know, you, you, you can give us the young people when they leave college a little up in hand or you know, a little step where so they can use that money to, I guess, take care of the family.
0: Now, you did it the right way at Texas Western because um, you, you were a young dad, uh, you, your wife, uh, what, what, what were you a dad at, 16 or 17 years old? I was a dad, uh, Nine,
2: actually, you could laugh at this, now. I was 19 years old by two days. Okay. I was born the 13th of December, and I was born the 15th of December.
0: okay. And, and there you go. Now, you were at college. Y- your baby, Etta, was being born in the Bronx, and you couldn't go home f- for her, you know, to be part of the, the delivery because, not because you were playing basketball, you didn't have the money to fly home.
2: Absolutely. And I, I remember that it cost, I think it cost $120 <laughs> for the Red
0: Eye Express. You know, and I didn't, didn't have it. And had and had no it. And so I gotta ask you this: you, you know, you mentioned names like you played in the Rucker tournament and the Alcinders, and you know, you know, Willie. It's no secret, you know, when Kareem was Lou Alcinder at UCLA, you know, there there was a guy there by the name of Sam Gilbert who who was a big alum guy who was known for getting them cars, getting them m- girls suits and any and everything, did you hear those stories from some of the guys, you know, who you played with, you know, at those schools at that time, you know, getting money, whether it be in envelopes or under the table? No, you know,
2: I I didn't hear anything like that, you know. Uh, I guess they were smaller than the kids are now. They they kept the secret, you know. I didn't hear anything, I guess, because maybe they were soon, we were getting the same thing. You know, but, uh, no, I didn't hear anything at all
0: like that, Russ. Now, and, and when you hear the kids, I shouldn't say the kids today, when, when you hear what's gone gone now with these scandals, okay, um, you know, it takes two to tangle. Everybody can be blaming it on agents, but there's kids, there's parents, and there's coaches. Mm-hmm. And when you hear these coaches, and, and you hear the stories, and you know, you know um, about – guys not going to class and getting credit for class and 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 you know infractions and 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 somebody taking their SATs or stuff like that I mean you know sometimes people pass the buck I know how you are with your kids in high school I right. mean it's a smaller world but isn't it up to the coach to be looking out for the damn kid Well I think most are in college than in high school
2: because in college, you know, the parents are trusting you with the, you know, private possession their child. You know, and the parents are not there around. In high school, it should be over team collecting. You know, the parents, you know, the coach and the administration, everybody should be invested. But in college, you know, the coach is the, the parent right there, and there. Right. And plus, in college, they have like four or five assistants. You know, I mean, they have a, they have a staff. So uh, you have to take care of them because even though they they're six foot fourteen
0: or six foot fifteen, they're still babies. I, I you know what I say that all the time. I say that when when, when you, you see in football, you get some of these guys that uh, six four, three hundred and twenty pounds, but they're still twenty 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 one. They're still babies. You're you're a hundred percent right on that. Still we, we we concur. And finally, let let me wrap this up, uh, Willie Worsley with. You know, you and your teammates from Texas Western all get inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. What'd that mean to you?
2: Well, the ticker word out of Dr. King's speech, I'm in the mountaintop of basketball. <laughs> that is the mountaintop of basketball. You know, that's the White House of basketball. That is the highest you could go, the highest honor you can receive to be inducted to the National Hall of Fame for your particular sport. And we will never, ever forget it. And uh, me personal, it will always be part of me, part of my life, and help open some doors for me, help open somebody's doors for me to talk to people like you. You know, if it wasn't for that, I would never know who the hell Russ was.
0: Yeah, well, uh, uh, believe me, my friend, uh, I'm very proud to be able to call you a, a, a friend. A- and you mentioned the White House. What did that mean to you? Because, correct me uh, if I'm wrong, you get a, a trip to the White House. The whole team gets invited to meet President Bush. Am I right?
2: Well, let's go back a little bit. We been to the White House in
0: 1966. We visited the White House in 1966
2: too. Is I you know what? I didn't know that. Well, you know, because uh, at that particular time, you know, L B J was president. Right. I don't I don't think we saw him anything he just probably went through the White House but because you know Kennedy had you know got shot so he took over. And L B J of course from Texas. And we from Texas, so you know, it was one of those things. But the time we went to Bush, you know, it was a real honor, you know, just set there in in the White House and to you know, to be some place where history to be, you know, but it was for me, it was a bittersweet. I'm gonna tell you this, I never told you this. That particular day, I was in the White House, we had a playoff game, you know, and uh, my assistant coach and and, and my daughter coached the team, and they weren't for me, so you know, it was a great feeling.
0: Oh, so you mean to say that there you go, you're at the White House being honored. Be, as being part of this legendary team with five African American players, the first one with five players, African Americans to start and win an NCAA championship game, and you're worried about your Spring Valley team back home in a playoff game.
2: Hell yeah! <laughs> when you be? <mean? laughs>
0: yeah. Well, you know what? That's what makes you Willie Worsley. And, oh, thank and, you. Thank and, you. And, and uh, like, like I've said, Willie. I don't know if you heard me say it before, I've met three people in my life who I feel are a cut above me, just special people, and and one was Wellington the, uh, Wellington Mara, the late great patriarch of the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. The other one was Arthur Ashe, mm. great Arthur Ashe, but, but not just te- tennis, but civil rights. And the third one was the man I'm talking to right now, Willie Worthy, because you are a special dude, my friend.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You just got to put me in another Hall of Fame of Friendship.
0: Well, i tell you what. If I can be in a Willie Worsley Hall of Fame of Friendship, then you know what? I've done something good with my life as well. Willie, I am proud to call you a friend. And nothing but good things. I hope we talk many more times down the road, pal. All right, a good, man. You owe me lunch. <laughs> you got that. It's my pleasure, buddy. All right? All right. Take care of yourself, man. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Speaking with Willie Worsley, I, I don't know if you grasped it all, but you, you, you're talking about a guy. I mean, there was some heavy, heavy racist stuff that him and his teammates went through. And if you could get a morsel of bitterness or anger out of that conversation, please let me know. I'm on Facebook, at Russ Salzberg, uh, uh, on Twitter, at Russ Salzburg. Let me know, because I didn't hear an ounce, not a morsel of bitterness, just a special guy. And he played in a different era. But that's going to bring me to now where I got an axe to grind with the NCAA. The the NCAA, not the National Collegiate Athletic Association, but the National Corrupt Athletic Association. You know, for many, many years, I, I was against athletes getting paid. I really was the players getting paid. Because I felt getting paid, m- many of you had to do what I had to do. You know, scrape and, and and rub nickels together to get to college. So an athletic scholarship, to me, is worth something. And God knows when an athletic scholarship today for four years is probably, you know, some of these schools is worth a quarter of a million dollars. But When Willie played, and and Willie brought out a good point. He he was talking about the endowment. Like maybe, you know, if you stay in school, see, that's that's how Willie thinks. If you stay in school, well, that's an enticement to stay in school. Because if you stay in school, we'll put X amount of dollars in an account for you. And another year and another year. So when you leave, you have money there for you. Because remember, not everybody is going to be a pro, even though everybody thinks they're going to be. Hey, if you take the top 25 teams in a country, I'll bet you, not the f- starting five, but I'll bet you the first eight players on each team think they're going to be pros. just doesn't work that way. They can think that. It doesn't work that way. But having said all that, you know, I mean, when, when, when Willie was playing, I think his coach, you know, at, at when— When he went to the pros, he made $9,000. I think maybe his coach, uh, Don Haskins, I'm sure he wasn't making $20,000 back then. But it's a, what's it, a $9 billion business? Not million. uh, College basketball is a $9 billion business. They're selling shirts. They're selling every damn thing you can imagine. Why shouldn't players... Make money from it. Why can't guys go ahead and and, and so you have money in your pocket now? now I, I'm not saying guys have to make a fortune of money. If you're just asking Russ Salzberg, and I, Willie brought out so Willie Worsley brought out something interesting because they, you get into issues like Title uh, Nine when you know everybody's supposed to be paid if. I think the law prohibits schools receiving federal funds from discriminating based on sex, so that's a problem in itself. But, you know, why why can't you pay, you know, guys $20,000? So that they, they have money, they can pay for an apartment, they can fly home, they can buy meals. But it's not just that, folks. It's not just that. How about the coaches? How about the corruptness? How about the, the 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 sneaker companies? How about the payoffs? Right? How about that? You ever think about that? You, you know, you talk about. Let's see. Rick Pitino was banged out of basketball, okay, from Louisville. All right, for funneling or allegedly funneling a hundred thousand to a recruit's family. Jim Larinaga of Miami, who they're in the tournament. I think he's, there's questions about him funneling $150,000. John Calipari, you know, the one and done coach at, at Kentucky. John Calipari left UMass with sanctions. He left Memphis with sanctions. There he is at Kentucky, the Pied Piper. You leave the coach. Why can coaches leave schools and 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 you know just without being penalized? They don't have to stay at the school, so they leave the school and they're not penalized. You got Jim Beheim at Syracuse. Syracuse had all kinds of sanctions. You got Roy Williams at North Carolina. What's what do they think North Carolina is seated number two? I mean North Carolina. The guys are going to school, taking classes that don't exist. I mean, I don't know. We know the thing with Sean Miller that the FBI allegedly has him on tape. Now, I don't know if they have him on tape or not, but something's up there. By the way, you know, when um, here he is in the NCAA tournament, but when he finally addressed the media, he just addressed the media, but he didn't take any questions. Think about that. Now, if you're innocent, why don't you take questions and, and hear what people have to say? And then when all this crap went down about the NCAA, Coach K, who I admire, uh, I genuinely admire Coach K, t- and, 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 coach, and, and Duke has been named in this garbage, too, with Scandal. But Coach K has always run a good program, and I know he's always taken care of his kids and looked out for them. This was Here's a coach, because I wrote it down the day he said it. Coach K, when the scandal broke, it's a horrible time for the game. The game has been on its knees begging for change for years. Sometimes, unless something horrible happens, you just don't change. We need to change. We need to take a look at amateurism and define it differently. Well, you know what, Coach K? It's up to you because you're one of the biggest names in college basketball. And it's up to you, I hate to say this, to go after your friends who are aren't doing it the right way? Dick Vitale, who I love, he's an entertaining guy. He he he's been great for college basketball. Dick Vitale, when this crap broke on Sean Miller, the Arizona coach, you know, on tape, allegedly on tape by the FBI for looking to. Uh, get a $100,000 to his star player, DeAndre Ayton, okay? This was a quote from Dick Vitale on Twitter. Sean Miller can't get his cash under his contract, but he can't. No, Sean, correct me. Let me correct myself. Sean Miller can get his cash under his contract, but you can't buy a reputation. You earn it. You must look in the mirror, and I guarantee you he, meaning Miller doesn't like what he sees. I am so surprised as I was a big Sean Miller believer. Well, you know what? That sounds all noble by Dick Vitale. And I'm telling you, I like Dick Vitale. But I didn't hear Dick Vitale saying anything about Rick Petino not luck, liking what he sees looking in the mirror. I never heard him say anything about John Calipari not liking what he sees in the mirror. When uh, he had his sanctions at UMass and and um, Memphis, I'm not hearing anything about Jim Beheim Vital saying I don't like he can't like what he's looking in his mirror. His school has sanctions, or or um, Roy Williams. You know what is it saying? You got to crap and get it off the pot. You know what I'm saying? So it's time all these coaches stop the charade because all this bula-bula boula and the NCAA tournament's on and everybody's cheering is all excited about it. Do me a favor. Stop being so excited. All right? Because you need some fixing to do. It doesn't matter who wins the NCAA championship. And finally, I'm going to switch gears now and go from the hard court to the gridiron. Okay? What the hell do we do? Everybody's been asking me. What what are you going to do with, Giants going to do with old old Beckham Jr.? You know, there he is the, the, in a hotel room. Does he have a blunt in his hand? Was that Coke on, on, on a credit card of some girl in a hotel room? Here's what I say. I say, this kid, I've interviewed him. I've sat down with him. I know him very well. He's not a dumb kid. In fact, to the contrary, he's bright. He cares passionately about being a player. And um, his teammates love him. Nobody works harder on the Giants than him. But when I heard this latest thing, I wanted to shake him. But it's part of the young generation. When people say, I, I was reading, oh, they ought to think about trade him. Let me tell you something. You don't just jump to conclusions and trade not arguably, he is one of the best players in the NFL. You don't just say you're going to trade an enormous talent. I think Odell Beckham Jr.'s biggest problem, his very, very biggest problem, is that he needs to stop being caught up in the celebrity life. Because you don't have the celebrity life, and I tell this to all these players, you don't have the celebrity life without your sport. Michael Jordan was not a celebrity without basketball. Okay? LeBron James is not a celebrity without basketball. They'd be the first guys to tell you that. Pick who you want. Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley, he knows. He says what basketball is meant to him. Odell, you're a football player first. Somebody has to get through, whether it's His advisors, I know his mom's involved in his advisory group. Or the Giants, Giants got to sit him down and say, listen, you got a chance to make a whole lot of money. We want to be prepared to pay you a whole lot of money. But you got to show us that you're manning up. But for those of you people who just want to discard old Odell Beckham Jr., no. You know, listen, he hasn't been caught doing drugs he hasn't been involved in domestic violence. He's been stupid. He's done some dumb things. He's not a stupid guy. That's what pisses me off. He's not a stupid guy. If you're a lughead, well, then you're a lughead. He's not that. He just got to wise up. But anyway, folks, this has been a treat. I thank you all for being part of my inaugural Get a Load of This. It's been a lot of fun for me. I hope it's been for you. Sometimes I'm going to be talking sports. Sometimes I'm going to be having interviews. Sometimes I'm going to be sounding off. And then I'm going to want your thoughts. So please look me up on uh, at Russ Salzburg on Twitter. Let me know what you think of today. Uh, hook me up on on Facebook. You can also check out my own website at russsalzberg.com. Uh, uh, but it's been great. I want to thank... Guy who's producing for me today, Mike Coscarelli. I want to thank uh, the program director at here at 77WABC, Craig Schwab. I uh, want to thank the OGpodcastnetwork.com. And don't forget, that's where you're going to find this. So you you want to mark that down. It's the ogpodcastnetwork.com. This has been fun for me. It's the first get a load of this. And you're gonna be, we're gonna be talking about get a load of this, get a load of that, get a loading a lot of stuff. But until next time, as I always used to say on the air, I'm Ross Salzberg, and it is bye bye, so long farewell.